You are not too weak for God to use you. You are not too sinful for God to use you, but you might be too distracted. Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, go to plainfieldchristian.com. Enjoy today's podcast. Good morning, church. If we haven't had the chance to meet yet, my name is Luke. I get to serve as one of the ministers here at PCC. We're glad you're with us. If you're joining us online, welcome. We're glad you're with us, and we hope to meet you here in person soon. Open your Bibles with me this morning to Nehemiah chapter 6. We're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 6 today. And uh, let me just go ahead and give you my sermon in a sentence, and I'll get my workout in for this morning. Here's what I want you to remember today. Where you focus is where you'll finish. Where you focus is where you'll finish. And if I could just um, kind of crack the door on my heart for you guys this morning. Over the last couple of years, as uh, Steve White, the previous senior minister here who served so graciously and faithfully for 35 years, as he decided a couple of years ago that he was ready to transition, and my wife, Rebecca, and I decided to start praying through whether or not God was calling us to step into this role, I have spent a whole lot of time Um, thinking and praying and reading books and talking to wise people, every smart person I could find, just asking this question, how do you start well? I really wanted to get out of the starting line well here in this new role for me and for my family. How do you start well? And as I asked that question, God put a different desire on my heart, one that I didn't ask him for, but as I spent so much time focusing on starting well, God has given me a really deep desire to finish well to finish well, that I can honestly tell you that over this last year or so, as I've kind of grown to be more comfortable in my own skin, I don't really care very much anymore about all the various symbols of status that the world has. I don't really care that much about whether or not people think I'm impressive. I don't care whether or not my peers think I'm successful. And I mean this in the best way possible. I don't really even care whether or not you guys like me. (laughs) But God has given me a deep, and burning desire to finish well someday. That if God has placed these three primary callings on Luke Proctor's life, calling number one, being a godly husband to Rebecca, calling number two, being a godly dad to Judah and to Calvin and to Wesley, and calling number three, to be a godly minister here at Plainfield Christian Church. If that's God's calling on Luke's life, then my desire someday is just to finish well and to hand the baton off to somebody else as graciously as it has been handed to me. And my only measure of success will be the moment I stand before my creator. I wanna hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. I just wanna finish well. That's all I care about. And I'm learning that that if I wanna finish well at the end of the race, it means I've gotta focus well right here in the middle of the race. It's my desire for me, that's my desire for you as well because where you focus is where you'll finish. Um, when I lived back in Missouri, I actually coached girls basketball for two years. And uh, it, it was a party. And if you're looking up at me right now, all five foot eight of me, relatively uncoordinated, and you're thinking, really, Luke? 
I'm somewhat surprised that uh, you were a girls basketball coach. You don't seem like the type. If that's what you're thinking right now, you would be correct. That is the right line of thinking. But we had a great time. I love the game of basketball and I love the opportunity of getting to coach those girls. Not trying to brag, but my first year I was conference coach of the year. I kept the flag. I was pretty proud of it. No big deal, right? But we had, we had a great run together and we actually set a record as a team that over those two seasons together, we never won a game. <laughs> not one, not one. And so the fact that they gave a guy who had a winless record conference coach of the year tells you everything you need to know about Missouri basketball, okay? That's it. That's all you need to know. Actually, the one time we did win a game was at the end of the season in the conference tournament, our varsity squad played our JV squad, and we did manage to beat the JV squad just barely. It was a squeaker, but we got by. And I'm, I'm telling you, we had a great time. And so after my short, glorious run as a failed girls basketball coach, then I moved out here to be your preacher. So you guys got the cream of the crap, let me tell you. Um, but, but even I knew enough about basketball that every single practice, I told those girls, before you shoot, you got to square your feet up to the goal. You got to get your feet set. You got to get your shoulders pointed the right direction. You got to have your eyes focused on the basket because where you focus is where you finish. Wherever your feet are pointed, that's where the ball's going to go. Where you focus is where you'll finish. We've been going through this series together through the book of Nehemiah, and this is a story of how God's people got sent into exile in Persia for their rebellion against him, but God did not give up on his people. He said, I'm gonna bring you back. And God was faithful to that promise because he gave one man, a Jew named Nehemiah, who was working there in the Persian government, he gave him a burden to go back and to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And so Nehemiah feels this burden from the Lord and he prays and God pours out his favor on this mission. He gets the king's permission and Nehemiah treks a thousand miles across the desert to go back to Jerusalem and to start rebuilding this wall. And we've said all along that this story, this book of Nehemiah, this isn't just the story of something that God did a long time ago. This is a reflection of what God still does through his people. In Nehemiah chapter two, he says that as they're beginning to rebuild the wall, he says, so we began this good work. And we've honed in on that phrase together over the last, last month or so because good work isn't just something Nehemiah did. Paul tells us in the New Testament, Ephesians chapter two, that God made you, God saved you so that you could do good work that he has prepared in advance for you to do. And so we've been asking you this question. Hey, what is, what is the good work that God has for you? What is the burden that God has given you that is gonna lead to your mission? And over the last couple of weeks, Morgan and Riley have preached. They've done a phenomenal job. And two weeks ago, Morgan reminded us that as we do the good work God has for us, it's not gonna go like we expect it to. We're gonna deal with broken expectations. We're gonna face opposition in our mission. And so uh, he walked us through Nehemiah chapter four where there's enemies all around wanting to stop the rebuilding of this wall. So the people, they literally, rebuild the wall with a sword in one hand and a hammer in the other. I love that image. They're ready to face whatever comes. And then last week, Riley reminded us that actually we do face problems in this life as we go about our mission, but the biggest problems we face aren't problems that are outside of us. They're actually problems that are inside of us. And Nehemiah had to get everything right inside the city before he could defend them from things outside the city. And so Riley challenged us to go about our mission with sacrifice, with empathy, with generosity, and with focus. That was the last word Riley landed on last week. That's the word I wanna hone on on today because where you focus is where you'll finish. Where you focus is where you'll finish. 
And I hope that as we're walking through this book together, you are praying and asking the Lord to give you that burden, to show you your mission, so that in two weeks when we give you guys these little concrete blocks, you can write on it really clearly, my good work is blank, and that then you can fill in the blank and do the good work God has for you. But whatever the good work is, here's the truth about the good work God has for you. Every good mission faces opposition. Every good mission faces opposition. It's gonna be tough. Maybe you've even felt this so far over the life of this series as you've been trying to discern what it is that God wants you to do and has for you. Um, you have probably already experienced some opposition. Like maybe the good work is just you and your family need to start coming to church together more often and you felt convicted for that. But you know that's not easy to do, right? Like it's early in the morning, it's getting cold outside, it feels nice under the covers, the kids don't wanna wake up, the grandkids don't wanna wake up. You drive to church and get snippy with your spouse and you guys start fighting and you walk in here and your heart's all like, you ain't ready to worship, right? Like every good mission faces opposition. Or maybe your good work is to finally pay off all that debt, the credit card bills and the student loans to get your family out from the chains of debt and yet your car just broke down. It's gonna be $1,200 to fix it. Or maybe you're talking with a friend and you're, you're, you're processing with them what God's doing in your heart and about the work that he has for you and what, what he might be calling you to. And, and instead of your friend encouraging you and praying for you, they just kind of look at you like you're from another planet and it takes the wind right out of your sails. I don't know what it is, but every good mission faces opposition. Don't be surprised that when you try to live for Jesus, it won't be easy. And the reason is we have a real enemy. And Jesus says the devil's prowling around like a roaring lion seeking to steal and to kill and to destroy. He wants nothing more than to hinder you from becoming the person God wants you to be and doing the work that God wants you to do. We're gonna see here in a minute in Nehemiah chapter six that Actually, the opposition that the enemy throws our way, especially here in 21st century America, oftentimes it's not like outright persecution or physical danger or demonic oppression. A lot of the times it's just distraction. That the enemy wants to destroy your mission by distracting your focus. And I feel this in my own life, right? It's hard to stay focused. It's hard to stay present. I'm so easily distracted that if God... If God's given me, Luke Proctor, these three primary callings, the calling of husband and dad and minister, like it's easy to get distracted in every single one of those because the day gets busy, right? And you got places to go and, and things to do and the to-do list is long and you got, you got bills to pay and I've got a fantasy football league I'm trying to win that takes up a lot of my time, right? And, 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 it, and, and, it, and it's tough and you got texts to answer and you, and you got this little device in your pocket that is literally hardwired to give your brain dopamine hits so it steals your attention. You guys ever feel this, right? Like I actually read a survey this week, do you know how many times the average iPhone user touches their phone every day? 2,617 times. Hard to stay focused, isn't it, y'all? The enemy wants to destroy your mission by distracting your focus. And so I was asking myself the questions this week. Okay, if these are my callings, when's the last time I sat down uninterrupted and just pursued my wife's heart and tried to get to the bottom of what it was that God was wanting to do in her life to encourage her and to put wind in her sails. When's the last time I just sat down with my kids with nothing to do, nowhere to be, I just looked in their eyes and spoke life into them and asked questions and stepped into their imaginary worlds. When's the last time I came before the Lord and put my to-do list aside and just sat in his presence and labored before the Lord in prayer on your behalf? It's easy to get distracted, isn't it? I felt convicted of that this week. There's a preacher who writes this. He says, for many of us, the danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It's that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. We will just skim our lives 
instead of actually living them. And we feel this, right? We settle for five minutes of praying in the car while you're driving instead of Jesus giving him like the the quiet time that he deserves of just sitting in his presence and enjoying him. We'll settle for a verse a day on the Bible app rather than just sitting and soaking in God's word. We skim our way across the surface of our lives, half distracted, loving God with a little bit of our heart and a sliver of our soul and the leftover portions of our mind and an ounce or two of our strength. But man, I don't know about you. If it's true that where you focus is where you'll finish, I wanna finish well. (laughs) I want you to finish well. And if we wanna finish well at the end of the race, it means we have to focus well right here in the middle of the race. So can I just ask you the question this morning? How's your focus? What are you focusing on right now? Because listen to me, you are not too weak for God to use you. But you might be too busy. You are not too sinful for God to use you. But you might be too distracted. And if you're gonna do the good work that God has given you to do, it is gonna require relentless focus, day in and day out. Because your mission cannot be microwaved. Where you focus is where you'll finish. So let's take a look at Nehemiah chapter six together this morning. I wanna look at three distractions that the enemy is gonna try to use to derail your mission. Three distractions. Here's distraction number one, the distraction of good opportunities. The distraction of good opportunities. Let's take a look at what the bad guys try to do when they wanna stop Nehemiah from building the wall. Chapter six, verses one through four. Nehemiah writes this. He says, when word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I'd not set the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. Now, Nehemiah should have known this was a trap, right? Like the place is literally called Ono, okay? (laughs) Thankfully, he gets it. He says, but they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I'm carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should, I, why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message and each time I gave them the same answer. So these guys, they send a letter to Nehemiah and they say, hey, Nehemiah, listen, I, I know we've had our differences, but I think we can work this thing out. Let's, let's get together. Let's come together. Let's talk. Let's figure this thing out. Come, come to Ono. Let's, let's hang out for a little bit. Now, that sounds like a good opportunity, right, to make peace with some enemies. But Ono was over 20 miles from Jerusalem. It meant Nehemiah would have had to take several days off work, away from the job. And on the surface, that seemed like a good opportunity. But Nehemiah knows that beneath the surface, it's a distraction from the good work that God has for him, not to mention a trap. And here's the reality for you. A lot of the time, the enemy's not gonna try to distract you with bad things because he knows you're smarter than that. A lot of the time, the enemy will try to distract you with good things. Let's say, for example, that your good work is to be a more present and engaged husband. But then all of a sudden you get this new opportunity at work, it's a promotion, you're climbing the ladder, it's a little more money, it's, a, it's work that you'd enjoy a little bit more. Yeah, it does mean you're gonna have to travel and spend some more time away from the family, but what if that's a distraction? Good opportunity might be a distraction. What if, what if your good work is, is to get out of debt? 
and to get financially healthy as a family so that you can be generous in the way that God wants you to be generous. And you're working a plan, you're budgeting, you're, you're putting money away, you're, you're doing all the things you're supposed to be doing, but then, but then this great opportunity comes up, you hadn't planned for it, but you get to go on vacation with your friends, but it's a little pricey. Good opportunity, but what if it's a distraction? You guys know this, that in order to say yes to the best things, sometimes you have to say no to good things. We actually see this even in the life of Jesus, that when Jesus came, oftentimes his mission was jeopardized by good opportunities. When Jesus starts his ministry and people hear, whoa, there's this amazing new teacher and he's really powerful and he heals people, you can imagine crowds flocked to Jesus. Multitudes of people who were sick and blind and lame and had evil spirits and people who were deaf, they came to Jesus expecting healing and did Jesus heal them? Some of them, but not all of them. Sometimes Jesus said no to what was good so he could say yes to what was best. And the difficult reality is that during his life, Jesus left some people unhealed so that he could focus on his mission of seeking and saving the lost, coming to teach and to die on the cross to save the whole world. Over and over again, the, the gospels, they use this phrase to describe Jesus. They says he set his face toward Jerusalem. And what the gospel writers are saying is that Jesus was relentlessly focused on going to Jerusalem because he knew when he got there, he was gonna die on the cross and that was his mission and nothing was going to distract him from it, not even the distraction of good opportunities. And that's what Nehemiah does here too. I love his response. When the bad guys here, they, they invite him to oh no. Nehemiah says this, verse three in the ESV. I love this version. Nehemiah says, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. No, I'm not going. I cannot come down. And yes, it's true. Jerusalem was like geographically higher than Ono, so he does literally mean go down. But I also think there's a metaphorical sense here that anytime you deviate from the good work that God has for you, you're taking a step down. And for some of you, you have a good opportunity, but it's a step down. And don't take it. I, I don't know what it is for you. I'm not gonna pretend to know, but let's say hypothetically you're single and, and you're really attracted to somebody, you got good chemistry, your personalities really click, but that person doesn't have the same faith convictions that you do. You can't come down. Don't take a step down. Maybe, maybe you're with a group of friends and they're starting to gossip and they're talking in some ways that are making you a little bit uncomfortable. They're laughing about things you know you shouldn't laugh at, but you don't wanna seem awkward. You don't wanna be left out. You don't wanna make them feel bad. You don't wanna be a prude. So maybe you'll just join in. Don't do it. Don't take a step down. Man, when, when a coworker starts throwing mud at you, they start being passive aggressive to you, running your name through the dirt, you're tempted to stoop to that level and do it right back to them. Don't engage like that. Don't come down. Nehemiah says, I cannot come down because I'm doing a great work. I love that. You might remember in Nehemiah chapter two, he says, we're doing a good work. But now here in chapter six, he says, I'm doing a great work. He started the job. He knows God is in it. He's doing what God wants him to do with God, with God's people. He knows God is in this thing. He's living his mission. He knows this is not just a good work. This is a great work and I cannot come down. And here's the reality for you. If you are being faithful right now, right where God has you, with the people he's placed you around, if you're becoming who God wants you to be, if you're doing what God wants you to do, I want you to know that you are doing a great work. Even when it feels like you don't even know what impact you're making. I've, I've got a picture in my head of a mom. <laughs> 
mom life is hard, right? And, and a lot of the time, maybe you feel like you spend your days just being a chauffeur, chasing kids around, chasing toddlers, changing diapers, doing laundry and dishes, and you wonder like, what, what in the world good am I doing? You're shaping the heart of the next generation. You're doing a great work. And some of you are, you're caring for a spouse whose health is failing, or you're caring for your aging parents. That's a hard thing. That is unglorious. It's slow. It's yucky. It's difficult. There's no praise in that. But I want you to know that you are doing a great work. Don't come down. Don't stop. Maybe, maybe you're loving somebody in your life who's just really difficult. Maybe that's the good work that God has given you. There's just this really tough person in your life and you keep trying to love them. You keep trying to pray for them over and over again, but it just doesn't seem like they're changing and you're tempted to give up. You're doing a great work. Don't come down. Paul says in Galatians chapter six, verse nine, he says, let us not become weary in doing what is good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. If you are doing what God wants you to do, being who he wants you to be, you are doing a great work, so don't come down. Don't give in to the distraction of good opportunities. Here's the second distraction the enemy wants to use. It's the distraction of cheap talk. The distraction of cheap talk. This, this was a tough one for me. A few years ago, I had social media. I thought it was fun. Twitter was my drug of choice. I liked Twitter a lot. I thought it was funny to read what other people were doing. I liked to tweet. I thought it was fun. And yet, the longer I had a Twitter, the more I realized that when I walked into any given situation in my life, I wasn't thinking, okay, God, what do you have for me in this particular moment? Or how can I love the person that's right in front of me? I was thinking, okay, what's a tweet I can get out of this that'll be really funny or, or sound really smart and wise so that people will read it and think, wow, that Luke Proctor, he is so hilarious. He is so deep and godly. What a great man. Like it sounds, it sounds shallow and it is, right? But I was so molded by what other people thought of me and I wanted to impress them that the distraction of cheap talk led me away from God's mission for me. So I deleted all my social media. I still do. I live under a rock. If you can do it and handle it, you're more mature than I am, okay? But Nehemiah, he doesn't give in to the distraction of cheap talk and other people's opinions. Take a look, verses five through nine. Nehemiah says, then the fifth time, Sanballat sent his aid to me with the same message. And in his hand was an unsealed letter. That's important. We'll come back to that later. He says, in which was written... It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it's true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There's a king in Judah. Now, this report will get back to the king. So come, let us meet together. I sent him this reply, Nehemiah says. Nothing like what you're saying is happening. You're just making it up out of your head. <laughs> they were trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed. Now strengthen my hands, God. So the tactic the enemy uses here is to spread a rumor, to spread some cheap talk, to turn the opinions of people against Nehemiah. Now notice that the enemy sent him an unsealed letter. Back in those days when you sent a letter to somebody, you'd seal it with wax so the only person who could read the letter was the recipient. But they send Nehemiah an unsealed letter. They want everybody to read this so that everybody's opinions will be molded against Nehemiah. But does Nehemiah cave in? Does he get all worried and upset about what people are thinking about him and what people are gonna say? Does he start a PR campaign to defend himself? No. He says, no, that's not true. And he gets back to work. <laughs> And you know what this feels like, right? Like we know what it feels like to wonder, okay, what are, what are they thinking about me? How can I tell this story in this certain way to, to shape their opinion of me? You know 
how bad it hurts when people say untrue things about you, when a coworker tears you down or when a family member takes a jab at you in front of everybody else or an ex talks bad about you to your friends. As human nature, it is our gut reaction to defend ourselves in that moment, right? To try to shape people's perception of you, to try to tell the real story or you know, to set the record straight or to give that other person a piece of your mind, but, but that's not what Nehemiah does. Nehemiah prays, he gets back to work, he trusts that his reputation is safe in the hands of God and he lets his integrity do the talking. He refuses to come down to their level because he's doing a great work. In the New Testament, there's a guy named Peter who tells the early Jesus followers to do the same thing. First Peter chapter two, he says this. He says, live such good lives among the pagans that although they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. In other words, you don't have to be held captive to what other people are thinking about you. Your reputation is safe in the hands of God. And if you are doing what he wants you to do, and you're being who he wants you to be, and you're doing the good work that he's put in front of you, you don't have to care what other people think. Jesus did this. When he was arrested, when he was falsely accused of all kinds of crimes, even though Jesus was innocent, he didn't defend himself. He just trusted God with it. Matthew chapter 27, this is the last night of Jesus' life. It says, when he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, don't you hear the testimony they're bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Jesus knew that he was being who God wanted him to be, doing what God wanted him to do. And so he didn't worry about defending himself, about protecting his reputation. He just trusted the Lord with it. And sure enough, God vindicated him by raising him from the dead. Don't get distracted by cheap talk. God's got it. The distraction of good opportunities, the distraction of cheap talk. Here's the third distraction the enemy wants to use against you. And it's the distraction of crippling fear. Take a look at how the enemies, they try to scare Nehemiah here in verses 10 through 13. Nehemiah says, one day I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, son of Mehedabel, who was shut in at his home. He said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night, they're coming to kill you. But Nehemiah said, I love this. Nehemiah said, should a man like me run away? Should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him, but that he'd prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. They'd hired him to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this. And then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. So this guy seems like he has good intentions. He comes up to Nehemiah and he says, hey, Nehemiah, listen, those dudes, they're bad dudes. They ain't playing games with you. They're gonna come kill you. Let's go hide in the temple till this thing blows over. Then you can get back to building the wall. But Nehemiah says no. Why does he say no? Because he'd read his Bible. Nehemiah knew that only priests were allowed to go into the actual temple. It would have been a sin for Nehemiah to do that. And so even though this dude's advice sounded super spiritual, it actually ran directly contrary to the will of God. And I want you to know that there's an enemy out there who will love to give you advice that sounds good and true, but it is actually poisonous. Advice like, hey, if it feels good, do it. I mean, nobody can tell you what's true for you, right? Like, you, you deserve it. God wants you to be happy. 
This is why it's so important, church, for day in and day out, you to be soaking yourselves in God's word so that you can discern truth from lies. Psalm 119 verse nine says, how can a young person stay on the path of purity by living according to your word? Verse 11 says, I've hidden your word in, your heart, in my heart so that I might not sin against you. One of the best ways to become a person who knows what's true and what's not is to just take some verses of God's word, ones that are meaningful to you, and plant them in your brain. Plant them in your heart so you can pull them back up when you need them in those moments. Nehemiah knew God's word so that when he heard some advice that sounded nice but was actually wrong, he could sniff it out. And Nehemiah says the reason that all that had happened was because the enemies wanted to intimidate him. They wanted to frighten the people. They wanted to use crippling fear to distract him from his mission. And you also have an enemy who wants to scare you away from God's mission for your life. Maybe your good work in this season is to join a group here at church, just to live in Christian community. But the lie the enemy's gonna tell you is, man, if people really knew how messy your life was, what would they think? You can't have people into your home. Are you kidding me? Your house isn't nearly as nice. It's always a train wreck. Maybe, maybe your good work is to start leading your family in prayer every night. And if you commit to that, there's gonna be a little fear in the back of your mind that says, man, I don't know what to say. That, that just ain't me. It's gonna be weird. It's gonna be awkward so far outside of my comfort zone. Maybe your good work is to become a foster parent. But somebody's gonna say to you, are you serious? You can barely manage the kids you have now. <laughs> The devil's gonna use fear to distract you from your mission. And, and the fear he's gonna use is kind of like this quarter. This is my kid's college savings, so remind me to give this back to them. Um, he's gonna plant that fear and he's gonna put it so close to you that it's all you can see. He's gonna make that fear consume your mind so that you cannot see the good work that God has for you and you forget just how big he is. And yet God's call to you is not to ignore your fears, not to pretend that it doesn't exist, but to hold it out in its proper perspective in light of the goodness and the bigness of who God is so that you can still see what he has for you. Did you know that the most common command in scripture is do not be afraid? 365 times it shows up, one for every day. But here's what the Bible doesn't say. It doesn't say, hey, don't be afraid. Just, can you be a little braver, please? Suck it up, it ain't that big a deal. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible often says, do not be afraid, and then it'll follow it up with a reminder of just how big God is, of why you don't have to be afraid. God will say, do not be afraid, I'm with you. Do not be afraid, I've promised you. Do not be afraid, I will fight for you. Do not be afraid, I am the Lord your God. That's what Nehemiah does. He holds his fear in proper perspective. He refuses to give into it. He prays, he says, Lord, strengthen our hands. And then he gives this answer in verse 13. I love it, he says, hey, should a man like me run and hide? I love that, he's so confident that he's doing what God made him to do. He's accomplishing God's will for his life that he refuses to back down. And you can have that same kind of confidence too. First John chapter four says that perfect love drives out fear. And my friends, you have been the recipient of perfect love. You can know when you look at that cross with confidence that because Jesus died for you, the God of heaven loves you, and if you're a follower of his, then his Holy Spirit lives in you, and you are doing the good work that he's prepared in advance for you to do, so why should a person like you run and hide? You have nothing to fear, because you're doing a great work for a great God. Do not be afraid. 
Nehemiah refuses to give in to these distractions, good opportunities, cheap talk, or crippling fear. He stays focused on the good work that God had for him. And if it's true that where you focus is where you'll finish, take a look at where it finishes. Verse 15, Nehemiah says, so the wall was completed on the 25th day of Elul in 52 days. When all our enemies heard about this, the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. The wall that had laid in ruins for 150 years got rebuilt in just 52 days because the people didn't lose focus. I didn't actually count, but if I'm not horrible at multiplication, I think we're spending roughly 52 days in this series together. And my hope is that over the course of this time together, God's gonna show you the good work that he has for you. And my hope for you and for me is that we will finish well. And I wanna stand before our creator someday right next to you and know that we were faithful, that we did and accomplished the task that he'd given us to do, that we finished. And if we wanna finish well, we gotta focus well. Scripture says, fix your eyes on Jesus. All of this reminds me of Jesus. And he finished his mission because he focused well. Jesus came and man, he had limitless power. He could have done any number of things. He had a lot of good opportunities, but he refused to be distracted. He knew his mission was to die and to rise again to save you and me. And during Jesus' life on earth, there was a lot of cheap talk going on around him. Jesus was accused of a lot of slanderous things. He was accused of being a drunkard. He was accused of being possessed by demons, of being a friend of sinners, a lawbreaker, a blasphemer, but Jesus didn't defend himself. He entrusted his reputation to God and he didn't let that cheap talk distract him from his mission. And Jesus even felt crippling fear. On the night before he died in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. But he didn't let that fear distract him from his mission. He got down on his knees. He said, Father, if it's possible, please take this cup from me. He was so scared. He sweat drops of blood. But then he said, not my will, but yours be done. And Jesus was so focused on his mission that he carried the cross up that hill and he died. He took all of my shame and all my sin and all my failures and all my screw-ups and all my regrets. He died for him and he died for yours too. And he rose again. And his last words from the cross were, it is finished. He took it all. And so now the call for you and for me as we live in light of what he's done for us is in Hebrews chapter 12 where the author says, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Where you focus is where you'll finish. So let's keep focusing on him. Let's pray. God, we're thankful that you know us. You know everything going on in every heart in this room right now. You know the things we're thinking about, that we're worried about, that we're excited for, the stuff in our mind that we gotta do later today. You know all of it. So my prayer for my brothers and sisters and for me is just this week that you would quiet our hearts, that you would still our minds and that we would be able to be fully focused on you and the good work that you have called us to. Thank you for Jesus. We love him and we're working for you not to earn your favor but because you've already given your favor to us. Thank you, we love you. It's in Jesus' name that all God's people said, amen. Let's stand and sing together. 